Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Dad has always been fearless. Like, I remember as a kid, he would... He was into um, like skateboarding and rollerblading and he used to just try the craziest stuff down without a helmet and he'd be like, oh, I'll just see if I can do it. And, you know, and he, when he was 17, he went traveling um, overseas by himself and, you know, stayed away for almost a year. And then again, when he was 20 or 21, he did the same thing. And he's just a really open, friendly, warm, you know, clever guy. He's resilient, he's resourceful. So when people say, oh, he can't, surely still be alive it's been like three and a half years it's like but you don't know Dan when I step back and think about why I'm here and the fact that I don't know where my brother is that I get really down yeah it's just strange it's so strange to not know if he's even alive it's bizarre that's the voice of Lauren O'Keefe she put a poster on a light pole at a Melbourne intersection that I later read from my car in mid-2011. She'd put thousands of posters around Melbourne at that stage. The poster featured the smiling face of a handsome young man and the headline, Dan, come home. I've been kind of fascinated by their story ever since, I have to say. And the statistics about missing people in Australia are mind-blowing. 35,000 Australians go missing every year. 95% of them are located pretty quickly, but the other 5%, that's about 1,800 Australians a year, are not found, like ever in many cases. So where are they? Why do they leave and why don't they come home? We'll hear from a man whose adult life has been consumed by the search for his brother. And also from a young woman who received a baffling message in the mail after her mother disappeared into thin air between her home and the local shops. But first, back to Lauren O'Keefe and the day her brother Dan went away. I'm Michelle Laurie and this is the Nitty Gritty Committee. Conversations about the guts and the glory of life. It was it was a Friday and, um, and I was working and Dan was down in Geelong with mum and dad, he went down to visit them for a few nights and accidentally forgotten to take his antidepressants. I think he really struggled to sleep. I mean, his anxiety was really, really bad and I'm not sure what impact the um, medication would have had or then not had on his sleeping pattern. Um, but I think that he was quite sleep deprived that Friday morning when he was chatting to dad in the kitchen, but he was still, you know, he was with it and he and dad were just 
um, chatting casually about the day, what his plans were. That was at nine, about quarter past nine in the morning, talking to dad in the kitchen. And then 15, 20 minutes later, mum came down to say good morning to Dan, um, but she couldn't find him and didn't freak out because he was 24 and had his own life up in Melbourne. Um, it wasn't until the night time when I think he was supposed to teach his class at seven and Dan's girlfriend um, was waiting for him at the studio and he wasn't there that she knew that something was wrong. 10 o'clock at night, um, my sister called me and said, what's going on? And I said, what do you mean? Well, she said, well, mum's just called and they've reported Dan missing. The one confirmed sighting that we've had since he went missing was in Queensland. I was on the project and because that's nationally broadcast, um, it was because a woman in Queensland had thankfully asked her husband to record that episode that she saw the pictures of Dan come up on the screen and she went, oh my God, that's the guy that came into our medical clinic two weeks ago. And so um, he had made his way from Geelong to Ipswich in Queensland mm. in those four and a half months. Um, no money. No ATM card. Nothing. Hadn't touched any accounts. I saw the footage of him it's when yeah. I was in this medical clinic and then he walks into frame and he's like a bag of bones, like he's lost. 30 odd kilos and he looks like death. And then I called mum and dad straight away and they flew up and they saw it and they said they think that he's walked. Yeah, four and a half months. I mean, he may have hitched here and there or jumped on a train or a bus or whatever, mm. but I mean, it was him. So he somehow made his way from Geelong to Ipswich in those first four and a half months. And then five weeks later, when the woman from the clinic, after calling Crime Stoppers, she persisted and called us directly because we've got a hotline phone. Thank God she called us. Um, she gave us all the information and I knew it was Dan. I knew it was Dan before I, I just, I got goosebumps. Like at that point we were getting reports of sightings like every day almost. And so as soon as I read this one, I, I just, I knew it was him. I went up to Brisbane and I spent two months going to all the parks, going to the soup kitchens, the food vans, the church groups, um, the cults, like anything I could think of. I got like 2,000 business cards done um, with Dan's face and then all the information on the back and was giving them to like big issue vendors and homelessness service providers and, um, and volunteers and people in like sleeping on the park benches. I would just leave them, you know. It was an insane time in my life. It was so exhausting physically and um, emotionally. Um, and I was so determined that I was going to come home with him. So it was pretty, um, pretty deflating when I came home empty handed. But, you know, if he was still alive then, we have every reason to believe that he's still alive now. We had a sighting, a reported sighting last week of a guy who sounded to be Hare Krishna in um, northern New South Wales. So mum and I spent a couple of days, um, you know, sussing that out, trying to get CCTV, dealing with the shopping centre and the security and the woman. And, and um, it wasn't Dan. We saw a picture of this guy in the end, but it was so similar to Dan. Like, he had the same sort of features. And it's just amazing. It's so encouraging to think that people are still keeping him mm. in the forefront of their minds, like, three and a half years on, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's just incredible. We get like texts of um, photos that people have taken from all over the country of men that look like Dan. You know, they might be homeless guys on the street or they might be someone just sitting in a park and people think, oh, that could be Daniel O'Keefe. And they, they think to take a photo and text it through to us on the hotline. It's just amazing what technology is allowing us to do. About three years ago, there was you know, <laughs> there was an email to the Gmail account that said, you know, we've got Dan and we're torturing him and blah, blah, blah. You need to give us 100,000 US. To me, that screams scam. Yeah. Um, and I think by that point, I, I mean, I was just so, 
I don't think I'd slept in those first four months. So um, I, you know, just brushed it off. But mum, I think, was really... Because it was quite graphic, you know. Yeah. They were saying what, the kind of torture and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and it was completely ridiculous to me. But I, um, that was the first time I thought about my mum and how vulnerable she is because obviously it's a scam, but to her as a mum, yeah. and she's having to even imagine that... Um, scene is just horrifying so I spent two years day in day out at this day and come home headquarters the dining table over there um, in my dressing gown <laughs> emailing hundreds of people making thousands of phone calls like doing as much as I could trying to generate um, you know interest on the new social media platform that we'd open so now we've got you know I've got Instagram we've got all this kind of stuff but it's a huge amount of time that it takes to keep people engaged especially when there's not been um, a, a confirmed sighting, at least, in the last uh, three years. I think my eldest sister, she, um, she was really, really heavily involved for the first six months. Um, she's, you know, she's married and she's got three kids and she's got her own career and, and she took time out of that to, to be really um, immersed in Dan Come Home with me. Um, but then I think, you know, and it was a good decision for her to, to take time to... Um, to regain some normalcy. Um, so she is slightly less involved, but still, you know, of course, very supportive. Um, certainly things like your commitment, your dedication and your actions and behaviours do change over time. Um, and, you know, I think mum has um, an enormous amount of encouragement from the public through the Facebook page. Like we have people that write the most beautiful things on a Facebook post. Um, and my mum goes through and she reads those and that's, you know, that's what's getting her through every day. I think there's a huge amount of therapy in, in Facebook posts, which sounds ridiculous, but really in this context, it's, it means so much to my family. Um, and dad, I think he just believes that Dan's gonna come home when he's ready. Um, and that's a great way to think. Um, and I hope that that's the case. But at the same time, as much as I hope that, um, obviously I, I haven't been content with that. I'm trying to prompt it um, to be sooner, if possible. But um, I think that's, you know, that's good for dad. That suits dad's life. Um, and then my, my other sister, I think just, you know, she just goes along doing as best she can. Um, I did think maybe it would be good to go and speak to a counsellor about this. And so I went and saw this lady and spent, you know, 90 minutes with her. And then at the end, she just said, well, it sounds like you are grieving. <laughs> I just thought, I don't know if I've just spent my 90 minutes on something that was worth my while, but okay. And so um, that didn't really, I mean, I just felt the whole time she was listening, but she didn't get it. You don't get it until you've been in it. Yeah. And um, I mean, there's a whole branch, it's called ambiguous loss. So when someone disappears from your life and you don't um, have any resolve, um, it's that disenfranchised grief because there's no body to bury, mm -hmm. there's, um, there's no real opportunity to move on. And, and you so you get to stuck. Have some hope that, yeah. that he's not dead. So oh. that must be competing within you, the yeah. hope and yeah. the. Uh, you know, reality in inverted commas. Exactly. Trying to brace. I've been trying to brace, brace myself yourself, yeah. the whole time thinking. I mean, I, um, I'm realistic. Uh, and so when Dan went missing, um, because, you know, he'd been struggling with depression, we thought maybe he's committed suicide. Yeah. And so mum and dad's place um, 
they have a f- you know paddocks and parkland around that part of suburbia in Geelong, and so I wanted to make sure that Dan wasn't there. Um, and so I asked the um, the SES if they could do a search, and they said we're more than happy to, but we need to get Victoria Police need to approve these things. And so I wrote to Vicpol, and they said no. I thought okay, that's frustrating. So then I wrote to the Minister for Police, right. and I said, please, can you do this? I just want to rule it out. And they said um, no. You know, if your case is not suspicious, if it's not um, deemed to be criminal related, then you don't have police resources. But you have people power. People care. People really care. We had about 100 people come down from all over Victoria on this Saturday morning um, at the park at the base of mum and dad's house. And um, I remember the night before, I mean, I was, had all of these maps printed out and I had like my highlighters and I was drawing up things and, you know, trying to learn about conducting a yeah. ground search. And, um, and then my sister said, oh, we should have organised a, um, a metal detector because Dan, when he left, he had his phone in his pocket. And I was like, well, Kate, it's a bit late for that now. It's like midnight on a Friday. Can't just go, you know. Anyway, so I thought I'll give it a go. And I did a post on the Facebook page and I said, look, if anyone has got a metal detector <laughs> that still works from the 80s or 90s, um, please bring it down to this park at this time tomorrow. And then what do you know, nine o'clock, this guy is like probably mid to late 50s wearing a cap and he's like holding his metal detector <laughs> saying, my wife told me to be here. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and it was a pretty, you know, it's a morbid yeah, scenario. It's, but, it's um, a terrifying scenario. It actually. is. And to think that people still, despite that, came from all over the state to dedicate an entire day to searching for potentially mm-hmm. um, a body in yeah. a paddock was... Um, the family they don't know. Yeah, exactly. And that's when I thought, okay, we don't need the police. You know, we've got people power. It's, like, it's almost like you're chasing <clears throat> him and he's outrunning you. Does it ever feel like that? Um, it, that really upsets me when people um, imply that, that right. people say, I mean, it's very rare now, but I remember early days with the Facebook page, people would say, obviously he doesn't want to be found. Mm. These strangers that don't know Dan, that don't know us, yeah. obviously he doesn't want to be found. He's a grown-up man. He can do whatever he wants. Leave him alone. And uh, from the very beginning with Dan, it's been, we've been so open and like, you know, the reason for this was that he was depressed yeah. and that we feel as a family that he has um, made the decision to, to disappear because he felt like he was a burden, like he worried that he was um, a stress in our lives. And that is so not the case. But yeah. when someone's in that mental state... It does that, make warped sense though, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And, and this is the other thing. I did not realise that for you guys, this has been an ongoing... His mental health has been an issue for a very long time. Yeah. And so his disappearance fit in a way. Mm. Even though to us, to read it black and white, it seems like this mm. guy woke up one morning and then walked out the back door and was never heard of again. But yeah. But it sort of fits. It does. It does fit. He's be never hurt and angry and know that it's not intentional and... Yeah, I guess you can. And other members of my family have expressed that, which um, I find kind of confronting because I've always been really protective of Dan and I don't want anyone to hurt him. I, um, I know him better than most and because I know that he never would have done this to upset anyone, that um, I don't like it when I have people say that that they they're angry at him um because he hasn't it's not dan it's not 
our normal Dan that made the decision that day to leave. You know, he was in a state and, um, and we don't know what that is. I mean, it could have been, he could have had a psychotic episode. You know, he was the right age. Um, What's your clinical advice about that? I mean, is it possible that that's ongoing? We're three and a half years down the track now from that day. Well, that's the thing. It's very unlike, like if he, um, I mean, if he was in a really bad way, he would have been found. Um, yeah, yeah, right? right? Yeah. So he must be okay enough that he's managed to not only, you know, survive that long, but to get from Geelong to Ipswich in those first four and a half months. So he must be um, coping, but there are all kinds. He knows that he, he walked away. He must know that you are, are tearing your hair out and miss him. Or, I mean, what do you think is going on with him? Well, I don't know and I think about every possible scenario and there are many. Um, if he is aware, I can imagine how distressing it must be to acknowledge the, the torment that you've put your family through um, and the guilt. And, um, and I've read and I've heard lots of stories from, um, from all over the world of men especially that have gone off and done this and just battled with that that scenario of apologizing to their family and are they going to be so angry at me are they ever going to speak to me again because look what i've done to them you know and in this day and age especially it's so public like australia knows what our family's been going through i can't do any more for dan like you know we've had we've had billboards and we've had documentaries and we've had huge um amounts of media attention and we've got bumper stickers and we've got um, t-shirts, we've had fun runs, we've done so many things and we still haven't found Dan. So I, I do accept that. Like I accept that despite um, my commitment and dedication um, that I can't find my little brother. But, um, but that's not to say that someone else, you know, in 10 years time won't recognise his face from a bumper sticker that they've seen in like, you know, northern Western Australia. Like, yeah. who knows what's going to happen. Well, but for now, exactly. Like, that would be know. the best. It's all because of Dan. And like, if he is ever aware of that, I want him to know that he has made such a positive impact on the world. That feels like a mantra. <laughs> <laughs> is it a mantra? It a, could be. I, yeah, it could you be. Know, do you tell yourself that when you're sitting on your bed all alone at the end of a day, feeling like shit? Well, yeah, one of the mantras that I, um, I do think of often is um, everything will be all right in the end. If everything is not all right, it's not the end. So, um, so I think, you know, with Dan, if, as long as this goes on, you know, we're going to eventually, we're going to get there. You know, there might be um, finding remains and that would, that would suck, but it's, it's the end and, um, and we've done everything as best we can to get there. And so I think in the meantime, if we can just remain as positive as possible, we'll um, hopefully inspire other families to just keep going, you know, to get out of bed every morning. When one person goes missing, at least 12 people are directly impacted. So that's, you know, psychologically, emotionally, financially. Therefore, when the AFP come out every year and say that 35,000 Australians go missing every year, that actually means that half a million Australians are impacted, at least. And we don't talk about it. We don't hear about it. We don't see it. It came to a point where I was like, I just can't keep being consumed by Dan Come Home because what if in like 10 years' time we find a body and and he's been dead for 10 years um you know so I got really really worried that I was kind of wasting my life who knows who knows that if he was in a really bad state mentally um we'd like to think that he would have been found I mean there are cases where you hear that people have been um put into institutions without any identification and kept there but um 
I, th I think with the amount of publicity we've been able to muster for Dan that he would have been recognised, hopefully. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, he could have a beard, he could be going grey, I mean, I'm going grey. There are endless possibilities and if you think about all of them, you drive yourself mad. So I'm just trying to, um, to not focus on that and to be able to keep this kind of positive energy up, I do, I focus on my work. So how is it meeting someone like the McCanns? What a club to be in. Yeah, it is. It's weird. How do I, like, what do I even say to Kate McCann? Like, I can't imagine what she has gone through. Um, because even though we've, we've got this thing in common, every case is very different. And, um, I mean, it was good. It was, um, it was a really positive experience, but it's, it sucks. It Ooh. sucks that you are in this, this club, in this realm of, um, you know, this ambiguous loss and... With the Morecams as well, like I see them, you know, I was at, I um, went to the launch or International Missing Children's Day in, um, in May in Melbourne and of course the Morecams were there and it is really weird because you've got this thing in common and it's really sad. Um, but again, if you've been able to get something really positive out of it, um, it's really inspiring to be around people like that. When you do meet someone else um, from another family of a missing person, you naturally compare. And so it's weird because when you do meet these people, you think there's that comparison. It's like, even though, you know, we've both gone through this horrible thing, you've got closure. Whereas, you know, I've got, I've got hope. I'm Michelle Laurie and you are right in the middle of the nitty gritty committee. Thank you for downloading. Coming up soon, we'll hear from Amelia Kaiser whose mum disappeared like literally into thin air on a trip to the shops. Um, there was some discussion that it may have been related to a sensational string of murders in Australia. Uh, we'll hear where they're at with that and with everything else shortly. But in the meantime, Lauren, who we just heard from, Lauren O'Keefe, she put me in touch with a man called Dylan Redman. His brother's been missing for a full decade longer than Lauren's, and while he's still energetic about the search, there's definitely a fragility to him that's pretty heartbreaking. He doesn't have Lauren's bravado to shield him. In fact, just a couple of hours after we recorded this chat, he posted on Facebook that he had always felt uncomfortable, scared and nervous telling Owen's story. And yet he never stops telling it, because I guess he just doesn't know what else to do. Here's Dylan Redman. Since 91. Wow. Yes, it's been a long time. So you've done a lot of TV and radio and newspapers and things since then? Um, oh, yeah, a little bit. Like they had, oh, 2005 was probably the major one, which was the um, Missing Persons Week launch. That was at McDonald's in the city. Right. And I had no idea what I was walking into. Because I'd sort of, you know, people would call me up and ask me questions, but I'd, that was the first time I was like, you know, cameras everywhere. There was the age, it was the Herald Sun. And then they started asking me questions and I'm like, oh, this is all right. I can answer some questions. And they put me on camera and I was like, oh, crumbs, you know. Um, and they asked me things like, you know, tell us a bit about your brother. And I'm like, that was good. And then they said, how do you feel about it? And then I just lost it. Mm -hmm. I've never cried like that in my mm -hmm. life. Like just snot flying out my nose. <laughs> and then I'm a, I was a teacher, you know, like a, I'm taking a break at the moment. But um, I was a teacher and the next day I went to school and all my kids at school had seen it. And wow. I'm looking down the corridor and they're just like, you could see they were like, oh, what do we say? And some kid's like, oh, I saw you on. And then I hear this, bam, some kid punched him and said, shut up. You know, because <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, I'd never, you know, like I'd never really cried since I was a little kid like that. And I just completely lost it. And they put it all right in the middle of the footy. Yeah. On a Sunday afternoon. Right. And I'm like, oh, crumbs. But then, you know, a lot of good came out of it. A lot of people have talked to me about it. And a lot of people talk to me about their own situations where they've lost people or, 
you know, and um, mm. it's just like, wow, you know, I can, something really good can come out of this. So yeah. even though maybe for me, I feel like maybe I'm not going to have the happy ending necessarily and, and find my brother, but I know through this, I can help other people and encourage other people and raise awareness of the issue. So, hmm. yeah. Do fine. you remember how, like, was there a, a moment or a, roughly a time when you th- thought, I have to prepare myself that this is not a happy ending? There have been a few moments like that. I'm not really a big psychic kind of person, but about four or five people have been to psychics and said, oh, hey, I went to a psychic and they told me about your brother. And I'm like, oh, no, here we go. And I know it's going to be bad. Yeah. Um, I've had one sort of say things like, oh, your brother was in Carnarvon in Western Australia and he's been on drugs and he's passed away from an overdose. And um, sometimes I drive two buses on the Great Ocean Road and one particular summer I was just really working really hard and driving nearly every day out there. And a friend of mine was like, oh, I went to a psychic. And um, before I could stop him, he's like, oh, and they said he's thrown himself off the cliffs of um, the Great Ocean Road. I'm like, oh, man. So every day I drive out there, I'm all like tearing up because I'm thinking, man, you, you know. But then I'm like, no, no, this, this is not legitimate. It's not for real. I, I guess people don't think. I mean, it's like when someone passes away. Yeah. There's that common line of, oh, you know, sorry for your loss. But you can't say that when someone's missing. Mm. So then they're kind of like... Um, uh, well, yeah, so, um, you know, that's those sort of, and then they say, that sort of preceded, the dumb questions preceded by a little bit of a, uh, um, uh, and then they just bang out with it and you're just like, all right, cool. And you just talk about it and, but and sometimes you just get to the point, look, you know what, I don't really want to talk about this right now. It's hard. And um, I mean, like I said, I don't expect, at this point now, I don't expect that there's going to be a good ending to all of this in the sense that one day Owen's going to ring up and say, hey, man, you know, I'm all right. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Um, I Maybe to some limited degree, I think maybe he might ring up one day or send an email or write a letter and say, hey, you know, I'm okay. But too much water under the bridge. You know, it's 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 been too long and I feel embarrassed. And I think that's probably more than anything. I mean, there's two scenarios, I suppose, in this that he's he's dead which is not the good scenario. You know, he might have committed suicide or maybe he's just passed away through natural causes or an accident or something. Um, the other option is that he's somewhere and he just doesn't want to be part of my family and he probably just feels like, okay, I've started again. I don't want to go back. What yeah. were his relationships like with you guys, with his family? I mean, did it fit in a way? Was 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 he distant or... Can, I mean, could you believe a year later that he hadn't contacted you and your mum? I could kind of believe that. Yeah, okay. He wasn't close to my father. Mm-hmm. They were probably too much like each other, both intellectuals, both uh, very strong points of view. My mum was the same. She was very dogmatic, very strong in what she believed, and they didn't get along. I think probably my mum and my brother got along better than my dad and my brother. Um, but I, th- I think when my parents divorced when I was about 12, I think that was when our family was sort of shattered and they went in different directions. Yeah. And I think that's when he, I mean, he was kind of like close to 18. He went off to uni. He was studying, um, originally he was studying like philosophy and then he sort of changed to drama. So he's very alternative. And I guess he didn't really fit in with everyone. I mean, I'm a, I'm a drummer, a musician, singer, songwriter and all that stuff. So I'm mm-hmm. sort of into the same sort of stuff that he's into. Although I can't paint and draw like he did. He was mm-hmm. amazing. So I guess we got along really well. We'd go out and see bands. I'd come down to the city from um, where I was living in, in Latrobe Valley. And um, we'd go out and see bands and just kind of hang out. And it was really good. We really reconnected probably about a year before he left. 
Because when I was a kid, I was probably one of those annoying little brothers that, <laughs> you know, that you always want to beat up. Yep. And I remember getting caught some pretty good, not beatings because he wasn't really violent, but, you know, like headlocks and yeah. <laughs> and uh, crow pecks and stuff like that. You know, he gives his knuckles and he'd whack him in there. You know, like, I probably deserved it too. Yep. But I remember, I remember a moment we were walking down Barclay Street in St Kilda towards the, I think it's the National Theatre, and I remember him saying, you know what, Dylan, I'm really sorry for, for the way I treated you when I was younger. Mm. And that was a um, pretty significant moment for me. So it was like, you know, um, I think we were probably the closest. Like my sister and my brother, I, I don't know, they just didn't really connect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she was sort of off doing her own thing. Um, he was the oldest, I was the youngest. So he probably felt probably fairly responsible mm. for me. Um, and I remember when I was like 17, I went over to America as an exchange student. And right before I left, we couldn't contact him. He'd moved but not passed on his details. Mm. Um, and we th- contacted him through um, di- oh, like Social Security, uh, Centrelink. No, Centrelink, sorry. And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, because my dad uh, was able to put a note into his, I guess, his dole form or whatever and saying, hey, Dylan's going overseas. Can you contact him? So he rocked up the night before I left. And I was like, wow, we, you know, I got the same... I mean, I, you, like anyone, you idolize your big brother. Your big brother, yeah. Yeah, and he was, you know, he was way cooler than me. And mm. yeah, um, he liked really cool music. So all the music he was into, I was into. Mm. And he reappeared, you know, right before I left. So him disappearing makes sense in some ways. Um, would you mind telling us a bit about what the day he went missing, the circumstances around that? It's, it's um, the timeline's a little bit weird mm. in the sense that he was living in, um, he was living in Brunswick with his wife. Well, that was sort of a funny, funny marriage in a sense because they were very bohemian. And they originally when they got married, they were living in separate places and I don't think they ever actually moved in together. Um, and a month after he disappeared, um, his um, ex-wife now, I guess, she's remarried. I won't say her name because she doesn't want her name no. out there. But um, she rang my father and said, oh, look, I haven't seen Owen for a month. And oh wow! And he he kind of would tend to just, I guess, for one of a better description, he's a bit of a alternative kind of living sort of a fairly hippie sort of lifestyle. He's just kind of doing whatever you know. He would work when he felt like it, just to pay the bills. And he got he'd go to a lot of things like um, confest and things like that. And sometimes you know, and he'd come back and and he'd be like, oh yeah, you know, I was away. And she was kind of used to that. But then she's like, he's like, I don't think he's coming back. He's left all his stuff. Like he left his bank books. He left all his, he had this like big chest. I think my grandfather made it. It was like this massive wooden chest and it had all of his stuff in there and he didn't take any of it. But she said right before he disappeared, um, he stopped kind of partying. He stopped drinking. It's like he became this serious person. <laughs> you know, he's in, he's in his 20s and it's almost like he's going, all right, I'm going to make a break for it. And uh, she couldn't really see it at the time, but she said when she looked back was like, it was so obvious. She didn't know how she missed it. He did change. He had a personality change just before he went missing. Yeah. It was almost like he shut everyone off, hmm. and but not in a really obvious way. He wouldn't sort of say to people, hey, I don't want to talk to you. But she said it was like he was just slowly withdrawing. And then she said then he just wasn't there anymore. But he didn't take anything with him. So maybe he was setting up a whole new identity. Which I suppose in '91 uh, it would have been fairly easy because we didn't have the internet like we have now. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't really leave much of a footprint. So initially, it felt like it sort of fit for him to drop out for a while, 
Mm. And then it went on and then it went on. Mm. When did it really hit you that, that he had left you, walked away from you? I think um, the, the moment it was probably the strongest for me was in a couple of years after he disappeared and I'd been in a relationship with a girl for like a year and, and then we broke up. And it was just like, that was probably the crappiest Christmas I've ever had. It was like, I think it was like the 22nd of December we broke up and I was just feeling really sorry for myself. And I'm just like, man, I just wish I could call Owen right now. I wish we could just, I don't know, go down to St Kilda, go to Ackland Street, get a kebab, you know, um, and have a couple of beers and just talk about stuff and you know, walk along the beach like we used to. And, and I didn't have that. And I was just suddenly like, oh crap, you know, I'm really alone. I felt really... At that moment, pretty desperate, and I was like, "Man, you know, I just wish I could somehow, you know, just see him, because oh, no, I'm, 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 I love my sister. I love, loved my mum, love my dad, of course. You know, they're the only ones I got, so you got to love them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't know. There was something about Owen. He's just, he was just that big brother. That he was, you know, he could have been like a really mean, you know, big brother and beat the crap out of me when I was younger. He didn't really do that, but he was." Yeah, he, I know. I just knew he loved me, and you know. So when you you kind of lose something that's important like that, you just seem like my mama. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, thirty six percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/work. Shopify.com/work. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm died in a car accident. She was kind of the, my voice of reason. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, so many times I picked up my phone, I'm like, oh, crap. I can't call her. You know, I can't call my brother. I can't call my mother. It's like that sense of, Yeah. Because again, it's so sudden, it's unexpected, mm. it's unexplained. You can't change it or fix it, or no matter what, you know how you try. Yeah, that's it. That's it's like I don't know. I can't explain it because it's I know I've been through the, the grief of losing my mum, through the anger, through the the just absolute pain in your in the absolute pits of your guts, kind of pain. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just can't get to that point obviously with Owen because yeah, I don't know and people are like oh well, you know people silly and they're like oh what do you reckon's happened to him I'm like if I knew that I would go and find him I would I would you know search the ends of the earth to find him if I knew all I've been trying to but you know yeah I mean I, I like in June I walked and oh, um, that's right yeah I did this like massive walk for like 500 and 
something case. I was originally, I was just like, that's it. School holidays here. I'm going to walk to Tumut, New South Wales, which is where he was born. Then, of course, all the realists are like, oh, dude, that's going to take you like four weeks. You only have two weeks holidays. You'll get fired. Um, and then I'm like, oh, man. And then I've got this like Fitbit, you know, I just yes. got. And I'm like, right, that's it. I'm going to do a virtual walk. And then I'm going to walk the last 50Ks awesome. from like um, the beginning of the Snowy Mountain Highway through to Tumut. I went there and I'm like, I'm so unfit. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and it was freezing cold because it was in June. Yeah. Or it was like late June, early July. It was July, yeah. And I'm walking and I'm like thinking, oh, yeah. Um, and I had like this, um, what was the app? Um, some like, oh, what was it? Like Strava kind of app, you know. It's yeah. like, oh, telling me how many um, how many Ks per minute or how many Ks per hour I'm walking. And I'm like walking really hard. And I got this one massive hill and it was like, I swear it was straight up. It felt like it was going backwards like that. Yeah. And I'm walking up this hill and I'm just like, oh, I've got to do this for everyone. I'm just pushing myself and pushing myself. I get to the top of the hill and my wife's sitting up at the top there with the car and she's waiting. And I sat, she's like, oh, you should sit down. You look, you're about to pass out. And I sat down. I didn't get back up again. I made it probably about 27 Ks mm-hmm. in the space of like four hours or something. Yeah, I don't know. But then I ended up getting sort of hypothermia because it was freezing. I didn't realize. And then I got in the car and I just started shaking. I felt like I was going to puke. But I felt really bummed out. I didn't quite make it to Tumut. But I'm going to go back out there and finish it. I'm going to go back. Because I made it to Adelong, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, man. But I just had nothing left. But some friends of mine said, oh, we'll go back up there. We'll finish it off. But So I did that to try and, I guess, raise awareness of... Of what it's like for someone who's got a family member who's missing. Yeah. And I'm I'm beyond the point where it's about me. It is absolutely nothing to do with me anymore. See, it, that's the problem I have with it. I think it, it is and it should be about you. I, it's heartbreaking to me hmm. that he left 23 years ago and still your impulse when you have two weeks off work is to do something for and about Owen. Yeah. And yep. to walk to his place of birth is so emotional and so moving. And it's just, you know, it's heartbreaking to me that mm. that you're still so close to it and you want to get close to him somehow, mm. anyhow, yeah. anyway. Well, it, if there was anything I could do, I'd do it. Yeah, um, still. I, I mean, even friends, a friend of mine in Queensland is like, he's learning to be a skip tracer. And he's like, man, you should do a skip tracing course. What and, is that? It's like finding people that don't want to be found. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Um, and it, but I think it's more and from the perspective of um, finding people that have done something wrong. Yeah. Uh, whereas Owen hasn't. But no. he's like, you should do that. And, you know, it'll teach you all the skills to find Owen and do stuff that the police can't. But I'm like, oh, I don't know. But for me, it's more about, okay, I mean, yeah, it would be great if I could see Owen again. Um, but for me, it has become more like, okay, if you're thinking about leaving and you just think no one gives a rats about you, think again because there will be someone in your life, in your family that will absolutely be devastated. Forever. I mean, my sister, you know, she she feels cut up about it, but I think she's kind of reconciled it. I think the same with my dad, but I'm not. I'm, I'm unable to do that. And I, I think maybe the walk for me was a bit like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do in the next few years. Um, you know, I'm maybe thinking of, doing some stuff in Cambodia or going overseas and doing some different things, leaving the country for a while. For me, that was a little bit like, man, this is like, I want to do something really big to, to hopefully get some breakthroughs, get something new, something different. Um, in the process of that, if Owen was watching TV or listening to the radio or, or reading the newspaper or just, 
doing a search on the internet and found something. And then he went and he, you know, maybe he thought, oh, look, I better contact Dylan. Even just to let him know. Yeah. Just, just send a simple email of, hey, this is Owen. I'm all right. Um, I don't want to, I don't necessarily want to reconnect because, you know, it's embarrassing. It's yeah. all of those things. But just to free you. Mm, yeah. So they'll be like, okay, he's all right. Rather than being like, is he, has he been, you know, was he, maybe he's backpacking somewhere in I don't know, Kazakhstan or I don't know, England <laughs> or something. And he's, you know, been murdered by someone. I mean, that's like horrible. I know it's a horrible thing to say, but. You know, but who knows? And you must have spent twenty three years imagining every, every possibility. Scenario. Yeah. But you know, it's hard for us to understand how you can love someone and leave them, isn't it? Hmm. Because it's, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's not normal. It's not. <laughs> What's normal, really? But it's if someone loves you, they stick around. They try and work through the issues. Mm. I mean, I mean, I've been married what? Wow, seventeen years, and there've been plenty of times that I've thought, wow, I'm not the best husband for my wife. I'm a crappy husband. I've just gone and bought another drum set. You know? And I just, that is the worst of your crimes, I think it's okay. Well, yeah. I'm pretty, pretty sure that's apart from, you know, trips to LA and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I think, oh, man. But then you just go, well, no, I've got to work this through. I've got to go, I, you know, with my tail between my legs, figuratively speaking, and, mm-hmm. and go to Lisa and say, oh, um, yeah, I bought another drum kit. I'm really sorry. I'll sell it or, you know, I'll sell one of my guitars or something, you know. Um, yeah. But even but deeper I'll than, stay. Yeah, even deeper than that, I'm really struggling. Like I, I yeah. taught for 16 years and I got to the point I was like, I can't do this anymore. I am going to lose it if I step into a classroom again. I'm, mainly because I hadn't taken a break from it. And, um, you know, I went to Lisa and I said, I really want to move to Wales right now. You know, that's my kind of escape. Yep. Uh, I really want to get the hell out of here. But because I love you, I'm going to stay. And and she's like, okay, well, you know. And she's like, why don't why don't you give this guy a call and chat with him? You know, he's your go to guy for um, swearing and you know yelling and <laughs> just being irrational and being silly. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that a counselor or a friend? Oh no, a good friend of mine, Pete. Friend. Like we we were in school together. Great. He like he's the guy I can go to where we just say completely random stuff, whatever we want, and it's we're safe. Yep. I'm not going to go to his wife and say, oh, Pete told me about it. You know, <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he's awesome. Yeah. Um, and it's the same. I mean, he anytime he has the issues, he gives me a call. Um, not that I'm bypassing my wife, but she just knows that yeah. sometimes there are things, you know, things I need to talk about. They're probably not not, not a Lisa talk, but yeah. it's more a Pete talk. But yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, to be honest, I've even struggled with that. Yeah. Like having that sort of friend, that level of friendship with someone. Because I'm like, wow, you know, I really want to have that with my brother. But I guess you can't. You can't always you can't it's you can't always have it that way, I guess. Mm. But I mean, that's probably the thing that stopped me from running away, is just having those sort of friendships and, and being determined, well, yeah, there's I have issues. But everyone has issues and everyone has to deal with their stuff. Mm-hmm. Be it because, you know, I don't know, emotional issues or 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 looking at yourself in the mirror and going, Oh my goodness, what was I thinking? <laughs> you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. How do you not let yourself really sort of give in to that and feel? Mm, that's a good question. I think I always think, they always say bad things come in three, so I figured <laughs> nothing else bad is going to happen to me. You've done your three? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, a lady interviewed me a while ago. Um, from well, She's from the Missing Persons Register, and she said, are you angry at God? 
you know, I guess God comes into that factor. I mean, mm. she, I know she's someone who is, you know, a believer. She goes to church, you know, I do as well. Um, and she's like, are you angry at God? I'm like, no, it's not his fault. I mean, that's just life. That's what life deals to you sometimes. And you can't be like blaming on other people. You can't be pointing the finger at other people and you can't be blaming yourself either. You just kind of have to go, well, that's my lot in life. You know, I'm six foot tall. I can't change. I can't be six foot seven and play in the NBA. I mean, I love to do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I wish I could play soccer and, you know, or I wish that I was like a world famous drummer touring the world, but this is my lot in life and this is who I am. And, oh, you know, yeah, there are times I'm like, man, WTF, what the heck's yeah, going on? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with me? But then others. Well, this is the thing. You didn't do any of those things. They all happened to yeah, you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to wish for other stuff. Mm. Oh, gosh, I wish I had straight hair sometimes. <laughs> I wish it wasn't curly, but you just kind of go, well, there are, I mean, there are times when I'm like, oh, most of the time I'm like, well, a lot of good things have happened in my life too. A lot of great things. Uh, I think that probably the biggest struggle for me is not to be selfish then and not to be like, um, oh, woe is me, you know, crappy things have happened, so I'm going to go and just be a selfish jerk and mm. just buy 10 drum sets and, mm -hmm. and and go to Europe and whatever, you know, and just buy get three credit cards and get into lots of debt, you know. So I have to be responsible at the same time. Although, you know, when it's my birthday, you always do something fun, like yeah. buy a pizza or something when I know I probably shouldn't. <laughs> I don't know. You're very yeah. disciplined. Oh, not really. <laughs> if I was disciplined, I wouldn't have three chins. So. Oh, photos. Me, man. Oh. Thank you so much. That's all right. You're welcome. That was Dylan Redman. His brother, Owen Redman, disappeared from Melbourne in 1991. At time of broadcast, the Victorian police were putting together a case for the coroner in that disappearance. But if you would like to uh, offer some information or just get in touch with Dylan to offer him some support, which I'm sure he'd really appreciate, you can go to the Find Owen Redman Facebook page, which Dylan runs. Lauren Whitehead is a Victorian mum of five from Bannockburn. She's 41 years old. And uh, on February 8th, 2013, she visited her local shops and has never been seen or heard of again. It's an incredible mystery. And I spoke to her daughter, Amelia Kaiser, on the phone from her home in Newcastle. You're in Newcastle, yeah? That's correct. Which is a long way from where you grew up and where your mum went missing from in Geelong. That's, that's right, it is. It's <laughs> a long way from home. Yep. Does it feel like a long way when there's such a, an intense family drama playing out? Um, at times. At times I wish I could be a little closer to my siblings and my brothers and sisters, especially in their down times where they're not the best. But um, they've got a good support system back home, big, fam big extended family, which are often there for them when they need them. And what about you? What sort of support system do you have in Newcastle? I have a fantastic fiancé, mm -hmm. which we're planning a good wedding, and uh, his in-laws, which pop up all the time. Great. Um and also my grandparents, my mum's parents who live in Queensland, they pop down all the time. So I have a fantastic family as well. So, awesome. um, yeah, I'm very happy. And, yeah, it's it's amazing what a time of grief and tragedy can do to the ones who are left behind. I think the bonds we have are a lot stronger than when the tragedy didn't occur. Yeah, it's interesting. Everyone I've spoken to who has lost a loved one, has a lost has a loved one who's missing, um, talks about the opportunities that have come out of it and the positives and the 
um, the focus that's that's come out of it. That's correct. You know, like um, I know I've always had a really good relationship with my mum's parents, but ever since my mum's been missing, my grandma, myself in particular, connected in a way that I never even thought. Uh, you know, we're like best friends now, and it's it's amazing. This quality of time I've spent with her is irreplaceable, and um, you know, we it's. Amazing that it's taken the tragedy that it's happened. But um, you know, I'm I've learned so much about myself on this process that I'm stronger than I seem. <laughs> yeah, I bet if someone had asked you two years ago, how would you cope if your mum disappeared? You know, you'd probably have answered, "Well, I I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't be able to." And yet here you are. Exactly. Look, um, that's exactly right. You know, over this time, I've I've learned so much about myself and what my body and my mind can withstand and, you know, about I've learned so much about the people around me. Um, yeah, and how much how strong they are. So I guess you've always gonna see a light at the end of the tunnel and every day we I you know, I think I look at the empty chairs and tables and think, Oh, you know, the door's always open but you gotta keep going and make something for her to come home to. Can you talk us through the disappearance, please? Yeah, yeah. Um, so on Friday, the Friday before she went missing in February last year, um, my mum called me at 3.30 in the afternoon saying that she was going to be going to Melbourne with some friends. And um, she said, we're going to catch up Sunday for coffee and I'll message you. And I said, yep, that sounds great. You know, um, I just message me when you're back. And over the weekend, I was unfortunately ill and had to go into hospital. Um, I tried to ring my mum, but there was no answer. I just thought that she was having a nice weekend away with friends. And um, then on the Monday morning, when I got to work, I still hadn't heard from her, so I rang her work, and her work said, actually, we're just about to call you because she hasn't shown up, which for my mum was very rare. My mum was a very punctual punctual person that um, was very (laughs) organised. And for her not to show up to work was a big thing. So um, her boss and myself went out to the house and uh, we found the house open, uh, front doors open, keys sitting on the office table, uh, bag on her bed, wallet on her bed, car still in the garage, garage open, back shed open, all the back doors open, dog still outside, a can of dog food on the bench and a spoon sitting next to it and a broken bowl in the middle of the floor in the kitchen. Um, from that point on, we called local police and, um, the police came over and took all the details and that's when the nightmare began. We began putting out posters and contacting radio stations and calling family and going through all the old address books, calling family and friends that she might've contacted. Um, unfortunately to this day, we are none the wiser. We have, she's not touched her bank account. She has not touched insulin. She's a type one diabetic has not touched anything. Um, We're constantly in contact with police in regards to if she was to buy another phone or if she was to access the internet, all that's being monitored and unfortunately nothing has been monitored and they've actually closed the case because of this lack of information and lack of resources, I I would gather. Um, But for the family, you know, we have no more answers than we did the day 
that she went missing. That's a frustration for families, isn't it? That the police get to a point where they say, we can't find a crime here that's been yeah. committed, so we can't keep investigating until we know there's a crime. Exactly right. As Ron Idles has said, which is the chief um, of the homicide squad and the police, he's actually said it's not a crime to go missing. Yeah. Um, as much grief and damage as it causes, it's not a crime. He's actually said to me on one occasion, if your mum had robbed a bank 10 minutes prior to going missing, mm-hmm. we would have found her by now. And that's exactly the words he's used to me. And for a missing loved one's family, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, as I'm standing there with, a, you know, my partner's, proposed recently and, um, you know, as he's slipping the wedding ring on my finger, I think, oh, my God, I'd love to tell my mum I just got engaged. And, um, you know, to have that thought playing in the back of your mind of a senior police officer saying if she had a robbed a bank 10 minutes prior, we would have found her by now Mm. is um, quite heartbreaking. So how long ago did she disappear? Uh, February 2013. Okay, so we're about a year and a half out now. Yeah, that's exactly right. And how old were you and the other kids when this happened? Um, I was 20 mm-hmm. and um, and my brothers and sisters were uh, 12, 11, 10, 9. Oh, God. Just, so yeah. for us, all the, you know, even the younger kids especially, to come to terms with something like this and not understand what's going on and um, the circumstances as to why... You know, it's it's heartbreaking. It's, it's so hard to talk to them about, you know, we, we do have chats as families about, you know, what they think and how they feel, but a child never knows. It's, it's hard enough, like, to lose, like, you know, Lauren was not only a mother, she was a daughter, a sister, a best friend. And ever since she's gone missing, I've learnt that, so much more about her, talking to all her friends from high school. You know, she was a great athlete. She was a comedian. She was smart. She was the head of an academic team. You know, like, you learn so much about, you know, things I didn't even know about my own mother have come out and I'm so proud of her, you know. Like, I'm so proud of everything. And if she can hear me, you know, all we want to know is that she's safe and that she's welcome home anytime. The door is always open. And, you know, we we love her so much and she's needing to be here for so many things. There's a wedding in a year and a half and she better be there. <laughs> um, you know, that's just it. There's so much she needs to be a part of. So with everybody, all of these people um, missing her and thinking about her, what what I guess it's human nature to try and think up a story in your own mind, a narrative that you can live with somehow or, you know, like a theory. What are the theories that, that you all operate on? Do you share one theory or do you all have different theories about what's happened? I think we all have different theories. Um, you know, her parents, my grandparents, like, struggle to come to terms with the fact that she might have made this choice of her own volition. Mm-hmm. Um. I, on the other hand, know that life sometimes has a lot of stresses in it and, you know, being a single mother of five kids or one or four kids and one independent one, Mm -hmm. which makes it no less stressful, (laughs) um, you know, it can be be difficult and sometimes people go through things that we didn't understand. But I'm, you know, I'm a nurse by by trade and um, I didn't see any signs of mental illness within the months before she went missing. Mm. you know, I I understand that, you know, I, I just hope that there's some big thing that I've missed and that 
she'll one day she'll walk through and she'll be able to explain everything. Because yeah. the thing is, we're not lost. We've still got the same phone numbers. We've still got the same emails. And I think that's my, my aunties and my mum's siblings have that mentality is that we're not lost. We're still here. If she needs us, she knows where to find us. The door's always open and we get that message out to media whenever we can that we still, you know, we still want her home and we will never give up. We'll never, we'll never close that door. And also, um, again, other people talk to me about the the fear that, like, you're spending a lot of time and energy trying to keep your mum's story in the media so that she yeah. she knows that you're looking for her and that we yeah. all know in case we run into her. Yeah. But at the same time, that creates possibly an idea that if she were to come home, there'd be a lot of pressure and a lot of media attention and that might be um, intimidating. Yes, it's a very fine line, mm. you know, um I know that uh, recently we've had a couple of media sources connect my mother's case with a Claremont murder in Western Australia and that's created a lot of unnecessary uh, media pressure which as a family we disregard that theory because it's just like aliens or, you know, it's not really possible. As I understand it, that theory is that your mother actually went to school in Perth and went to the same school and was in roughly the same year as the three women who went That's correct. went missing That's around the Claremont nightclub area there? That's correct. Um, a, unsolved murders there. That's correct. That Look, um, that's definitely right. And um, we understand that, yes, this is a coincidence. And, yes, all avenues that get presented to us by the public and police are still put down on the table for us to examine and keep open, Mm -hmm. that as a family we've unanimously agreed that this theory is very unlikely and that um, just due due to a number of factors which the police have investigated, they also feel that it is unlikely, again, not disregarded, but unlikely. Right. That there's some kind of serial killer targeting a group of women. Yes, that look, yeah, look right. again, in, in any investigation with a missing person, there's often three avenues that people go down. Suicide being one of them, foul play being one of them, and own volition being one of them. Mm-hmm. As a as a family member, you know, they're all not good options. No. They all individually give you anger and sadness and heartbreak because that loved one still isn't home no matter what the avenue. And, um, you know, like as much as we've considered all the options, we're none, we're none the wiser in our family. We we just want our mum home. We just want we just want that piece of... My mum growing up was the glue that hold all of us together. You know, she was the one that would help you up and you know, proper band-aid on your knee. <laughs> yeah, she was a beautiful... Yeah. She sounds to me like a, a beautiful, normal, suburban yeah. mum. Yeah. Yep, she was the one that'd be cheering on at the sidelines at the kids' soccer games and, um, you know, running around from 5 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night making sure we had everything organised. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, I think in some ways, like all children, you didn't appreciate it as much as you should have. Mm. And... Um, you know, if I just want to appeal to the public that she's she's my mum. I just I just want her home. If anyone has any information, big or small, leading up to the disappearance, if you spoke to Lauren before the disappearance or after, for that matter, 
please just ring in. You can be anonymous to Crime Stoppers or to my Facebook page, which I have constantly running and anyone can access it. I'm happy for people to go on and post things. And if you have your own loved one, feel free to pop it up on our page. Have you had any misleads, Um, you know, people trying to be helpful, but it's turned out to be sort of harmful or hurtful? No. No. Okay. Um, We haven't even had a false sighting, which is what's got the police very baffled, is that we haven't even had a false sighting, let alone... So the last sighting then is the CCTV footage from uh, Safeway in Bannockburn. That's correct. The um, the Woolworths camera in Bannockburn um, captured Lauren at five... Uh, quarter to five on the Friday afternoon, uh, Friday the 8th of February, I think it was, um, getting a bottle of water, a pen and a card. Uh, That card then turned up in the mail on the Wednesday uh, at the children's home address in... At her her home? No, at at the stepfather's home. Okay. Um, Um, So she wasn't living with the kids at the time? No, she was. Yep, she was living right. there on off, 50-50 care. Oh, I see. Okay, so so the kids were at their stepdad's for this like these couple of days. That was yes. the normal arrangement. Yes. And yep. the card that your mum bought during the last sighting of her at Safeway yep. arrived at her ex-husband's home yep. days after she disappeared. Three days after, but it was blank and unsigned. Very, very unlike my mum. My mum was a woman of words. She wrote novels for a hobby and she was very articulate and very expressive. So for her to send a blank card is completely out of character and um, handwriting has not been 100% confirmed on that. Has The police have made forensic investigation, but it cannot be 100% confirmed that it was my mum's handwriting. But it can't be confirmed that it's not. Yeah, but it also cannot be confirmed that it's not, again, unconclusive. So that, that's just, you mean the address on the front of the envelope because there's nothing yeah, in the correct. card. That's correct. It was just a blank card. What sort of card was it though? Did it have a message on the front or inside? Uh, or? It was just a blank card. It was a Hallmark card that had on the front of it a picture of a beach and a smile on the sand saying it's okay now, it's all right to smile. It's, it's all over now, it's all right to smile. Wow. So look, again... A mystery that we will never understand as a family, and we feel again completely out of character for Mum. Like my Mum always went for the bright, chirpy cards with pop out things, and you know, <laughs> yeah. as Mums do, and um, things that sung. But look, yeah, completely out of character, and um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. It's such a hard, you know, yeah. hard thing to get because you, you've you've been over this. A hundred times a day for the last eighteen months, right? Trying to think, am I missing something? Am I exactly. forgetting something? Um, I think, as any most missing person family member would know, you go over every single conversation you've had a year prior up to the, the missing. You know, you as to the point of when they've gone missing, you think, did I miss something? Did I? Did I? Did they telling me something that I've missed? You know, even as a nurse, I sort of feel even more guilty for the fact that was she trying to tell me that she wasn't coping or was she showing me something or did I miss a clinical symptom or, you know, like it was, you know, I just sort of, um, there's not a day that goes by that in some way, shape or form, I don't, if you do, even if you do forget, it hits you all in one big wave of, oh, my goodness, I've forgotten, like, and sudden pang of guilt. You know, you sit on the couch at the end of a hard day of work with a cup of tea in your hand 
and you go, oh, my gosh, I'm sitting down with a cup of tea and I'm not thinking about it, you know? Yeah. It's guilt. It's te- it's terrible, isn't it? Because you know that she, wherever she is, would not want you to be feeling like that. I know it's uh, crazy because if she's walked away of her own volition, she could come home and help and, and end this for you. But she, she, I think whichever way, as a mum, I just keep thinking she doesn't want you to be feeling like this and a bit miserable and sitting on your couch and feeling guilty about her, you know? Oh, look, I, I understand. And as I've told my uh, siblings numerous of times, we have to keep living our lives and yeah. putting positive things forward. So when she does come home, there's something to come home to. There's all the achievements that you can show her. And she raised us to believe in ourselves and to push ourselves to be better and to, you know, if she said, as long as you've given it 110%, I'm so proud of you. And that's what she'd always say, win, win lose draw, whatever it may be, as long as you've given it 110% and you know that in you, I'm so proud of you, no matter where you end up. And I remember that on a daily basis. I remember her when I was five, coming home from the cross country, telling me that, you know, you you finished it, you finished it, you've done it, and you put 110% in. Like, you might have come 33rd, but you've still <laughs> done well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I understand why you miss her very much. She sounds like a really lovely mum. Uh, she was. And yeah, hopefully will be again, huh? Oh, or like be here or not be here, she'll always be the best mum. Thank you so much, Amelia. Um, this is not for the recording now, but um, you know that Lauren O'Keefe is hopefully, I don't really know the ins and outs of it, but I think she's hopefully talked the project into doing a maybe even a weekly segment profiling yep. missing people, which is great. Yeah, she was telling me. I actually have just um, just accepted an offer with the current affair yesterday. Oh, great. Um, yeah, we're just hashing out the details as we speak, but they've offered me a media segment of my own choosing so I get to design the story and the uh, angle that we want to go with. And, oh, wow. Um, we're trying to hope that either aim it for the second anniversary or for Christmas. Brilliant. Well done. Good work. Yeah, it's not without a lot of push. No. You'll find more info about all of our guests at michellelaurie.com as well as a place to leave questions and feedback. There's also a link there to the website of Tenzin Choyil. He is the man behind the beautiful Tibetan music you've heard throughout the podcast. Thank you to Tim Mountford and Peter Laurie for editing help, but please know that the clunkiest edits are all mine. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Nitty Gritty Committee, conversations about the guts and the glory of life. Please subscribe to get them all on iTunes and go ahead and leave us a nice review if you feel so inclined. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.